You know, last year we were here at the meeting and uh, left early and uh, flew. I went to the Atlanta airport and drove to, or well, drove to the airport and then flew to Turkey. And uh, we were there preaching for three weeks to Farsi-speaking people uh, from Iran and from Afghanistan. And so before you take up arms, give them the gospel first. Because I'm telling you, I was humbled at how many of them were so hungry for truth. We started that meeting off with just a handful Monday night, we got on the streets, and we would, it's illegal to uh, evangelize in Turkey, but we would go out, and the pastor there, Brother Muhammad, uh, would go out, and he would speak Farsi to people. And if they responded, he knew they was either from Afghanistan or from Iran. And then he'd invite them to the meeting. He'd say, he'd always point, here's one of the guys that's going to be preaching, he's from America. And you know, they would say, uh, yeah, I'll come. And you know what they did? They came. Everybody that said they would come came. I mean, it was just the most strangest thing I'd ever seen in my life, you know. I mean, I've got people said they come in every week for three years and ain't never showed up, you know, but they would come. And boy, you would watch them. First time they'd ever heard the Word of God preached. And boy, people started raising, they'd raise their hand, is lost. And the interpreter told them, he said, if you want to know more, you have to come back an hour before service tomorrow night. And I first thought, well, that's strange. And so he told me afterwards, he says, we're going to put a PowerPoint presentation up here. We're going to go through the doctrine of the Word of God, the doctrine of the deity of Jesus Christ. We're going to deal with all these things, he said, because I want them to understand what they're getting. And you know what? Everyone that raised their hand, you know what they did? They were there. Every night, they were raising their hands. And we were seeing Muslims come to faith every single night. Some of these Iranians got on a bus and rode 41 hours on a bus to come to go to church from Iran. And some of these were were Christians. Some of them had never been to a church a day in their life. We had one guy that got saved one night. I remember I was preaching that night. He was just glowing as I was preaching the word of God. I've never had so much liberty to preach the Word of God as I did there, with an interpreter, too. It was, it was amazing. And I remember him raising his hand. The next night, him and the guy that was with him came back, and he got saved. And, and the pastor was telling me afterwards, he says, he lives five hours from here. He just happened to be in town and got one of the flyers and came that night. Do you know what he did the next night? Got on a bus, rode five hours one way, came back to church. Matter of fact, he did that every day, Brother Raines. We rented a Turkish bathhouse at the end of the week to baptize people in. <laughs> kind of interesting because there were Turkish guys in there. You know, it was really awkward, but uh, we did use a different section, thank the Lord, but nowhere else to go, right? So, but you know, when Mohammed, his name was Muhammad as well. Muhammad, when he was getting baptized, and I got his video, I ought to show you the video. I've got it on my phone. Well, he come out of that water, and he's choking tears, choking tears back from hearing about the grace and love of God. The love of God is something that's not taught in Islam. You see, the concept that God loves you is something foreign to Islam. Islam means submission. You're to love God, and you're to obey Him. But boy... 
when God so loved the world. Mm. Oh my. He loves them too. He loves the Palestinians. Man, when all the tragedy took place back on October the 7th, we were about an hour and 20 minutes away from there. I heard bombs going off. I had no idea what was taking place. And I just assumed those IDF were out running maneuvers in the Negev in the desert. That's honestly all I thought. And then I got a call from our landlords, y'all okay, you okay? Where are you at? And uh, then they began to tell us what was happening. And the whole country was just shocked by what was taking place. We hurried and tried to get back up north. We had to drive through a Palestinian area, a large West Bank area. IDF were already closing all the gas stations down, sealing everything up because nobody knew what was taking place. We got up there and it was such an eerie, eerie feeling for the rest of our time there. It was so quiet. Every day was like a Sabbath day. You got to understand a Sabbath day in Israel, there'll many towns, nothing is done. Nothing is open. And that's how it was every day. I mean, restaurants, you may find one restaurant opened in a town of 20,000 people. Gas stations would still be open. Grocery stores were open, but everything was closed down. They were calling in reserve units. By the time we left, there was over 360,000 reservists already came in. Roads were lined with cars parking on the side of the road next to small IDF bases where people were being called up. Never seen anything like it. But up in the north where we were at, we're on the Lebanon border, just about three miles from Lebanon. And I, I watched them moving uh, artillery down towards the south. And again, all these news is just coming out still of what's happening. Next day, I saw moving uh, artillery back up. And then I come up over the hill at our town. And when it's, what are you talking about? A strange feeling is when you ride over the top of a hill and there's about 30 tanks sitting right there. And that's how it was all on the northern border. I remember I'd rode up on the Syrian border like I shouldn't have, but I did. And uh, riding up, nobody was else was up there and, except for me and another Druze man. And we had a good conversation about him going to the hospital because of his leg. I don't know why that came up, but he just wouldn't quit talking about it. And I remember sitting there and, and just looking around at how empty the land was already. Yeah. It was so strange. And then we got back home and... I made a video and put it on Facebook telling everybody, oh, it's quiet up here, it's safe. Next day, they're shooting tanks out of our town into Lebanon. And, and uh, I thought, well, I need to make another video now. And so I went out, and I was walking across to the grocery store, and they shot one of the tanks about a half a mile from our house. And preacher was the strangest thing. As that, uh, uh, as that mortar flew across through that valley, it was like somebody was tapping me on the chest. You could feel it. It was the strangest feeling and when I got around on the corner in front of the grocery store at the same valley I didn't feel that but I was making a video and and uh, gonna send it to our kids and so forth you know they were nervous and and I'm, I'm, I'm shooting the video and you can hear the tanks firing and uh, then you see the explosion right behind me and I thought well I can't send this video now you know it's done done run that one so uh, so I ended up posting that once we once we left but uh, you know, it was still, it was fine, it was peaceful to a degree up in that area. Nobody was shooting back at us yet, uh, but it started, yeah. and it started, and it is getting really, really bad up on that northern border. They have evacuated all the kibbutzes, all the kibbutzims, the moshavims, all the different towns and cities up on the north. Even Kiryat Shimon in the very north, about 16,000 people, they've evacuated the entire town. And so they're moving everybody out of that north. Over 100,000 people have been evacuated from the north. 
Uh, it, it, is, it is crazy. And I want you to pray, if you would, pray for a family, the Issa family, our landlord. When we left, they had to move down to our apartment because we have the bomb shelter in our apartment, and they did not. And uh, so they moved into ours. Now they're trying to find somewhere else to move to to get out of there and uh, cannot. They're having a very difficult time. So if y'all would pray for that family, that the Lord would open up a, a door. I told him we would be praying for them. If y'all would pray for them. But again, as the more things kept coming out, and I'm reading things online and seeing what people are saying, people are always, all these conspiracy, uh, theological uh, conspiracy that you hear people say, well, this is Gog and Magog, this is, this is all these different events taking place and people jumping on that and people not knowing what it is, knowing not what's going on. And let me say this about prophecy. You know, a lot of times when it comes to Bible prophecy, we do not understand what's taking place until it's over. And it's when we look back and we see, that's what that was. You know, even the prophets sometimes when they prophesied things had to go back and search on what they wrote to understand it. So a lot of times we don't understand the events until after the fact. If you got your Bible tonight, turn it over to the book of Ezekiel, Ezekiel chapter 38. I was sitting here this morning and I was not planning on preaching on this tonight, but Ezekiel uh, 38, in one of the messages this morning, somebody made a reference to something and it made me think of Ezekiel I went over there, and one verse just popped out. And you preachers understand what I'm saying. It just kind of jumped out, and I could not get away from that verse. So uh, this afternoon, I hurried back to the room and, and, and kind of threw this outline together. And I, I wish I had another week of studying on this, uh, but uh, it, is, it is a very last minute. And uh, uh, just some of these thoughts. And I want to talk about some of the things that's going on over there as well in the midst of this. But look, if you would, Ezekiel chapter 38. If you got your Bible, let me invite you to stand in reverence to the Word of God. And I want to say again, thank you for your prayers because I, I wish I had time and maybe I'll tell it tomorrow of, of what God did in getting us out of the land because there is no question in my mind it was the prayer of God's people. Amen. I mean, I, I'm talking about airlines disappearing at the airport. Nobody could find it, our airline. It was just gone. And God opened other doors and allowed us to get out of there to avoid another something major that was getting ready to take place as well. It was just absolutely never seen anything like it. But Ezekiel chapter 38 and verse number 1. The Bible says, And the word of the Lord came unto me, saying, Son of man, set thy face against Gog, the land of Magog, the chief prince of Meshach in Tubal, and prophesy against him. And say, Thus saith the Lord God, Behold, I am against thee, O Gog, the chief prince of Meshach and Tubal. I will turn thee back and put hooks into thy jaws, and will bring thee forth in all thine army, horses and horsemen, all of them clothed with all sorts of armor, even a great company of, with bucklers and shields, all of them handling swords. Persia, Ethiopia, and Libya with, with them. All of them shield with shield and helmet, Gomar and all his bands, the house of Togarma of the north quarters and all his bands and many people with thee. Be thou prepared and prepare for thyself, thou and all thy company that are assembled unto thee and be thou a guard unto them. Let's pray. Father, we love you. We're so grateful for the privilege tonight to be able to stand here we thank you, Lord, for everything that you have done today in our hearts. Thank you for the good preaching of the word, just the good moving of the Holy Spirit of God in this place today. 
Lord, tonight I pray that you would help us to rightly divide the word of truth this evening. I pray that the Spirit of God would speak to every heart. May we be challenged through your word tonight. Lord, we'll give you the praise and the glory for all that you'll do in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. You can be seated. Now, here in Ezekiel chapter number 38, now this prophecy was given to Ezekiel over 2,500 years ago. And what is fascinating about this prophecy is that it's never been fulfilled. There has never been a time in this world that has been recorded of the alignment of all these nations together. Never. Except for the day in which we're living in today. We have seen that in our generation. And that is what is amazing when we look at these prophecies. Now I want you to notice, uh, real quickly, notice the participants of this prophecy. Because in verse number 1, where we took our text down to verse number 6, God goes through and he lists a number of different uh, people and countries that are going to be lining up in the midst of this this prophecy that's taking place. Verse number 2, the Bible says, Son of man, set thy face against Gog. People say, who is Gog? Well, Gog is not a country. Gog is a person. Gog is a person. It is actually, it speaks of a literal person. Matter of fact, it says uh, in verse number 2 at the very end, it says, and prophesy against him. So God shows us here that there is a literal person in which he is speaking to. Now this person goes by the name of, or his title is that of Gog. Now understand that Gog is not a name, it's a title. It is like they would use the word Pharaoh for an Egyptian. Or for example, the Canaanite king was called that of Jabin. Matter of fact, you read in the Bible, a lot of people like to critique the Bible over Jabin. And, and it talks about when, jo, when, when, uh, when uh, uh, Joshua and them come into the land, Joshua goes up to tell Hazor, tell Hazor, and he burns Hazor with fire and he kills the king of the Canaanites, Jabin. Well, then we read several hundred years later when when that city is now under Canaanite control again and Deborah and Barak go up there and they take them down to the waters of Moron and there they kill Jabin. And people go, well, that must be a discrepancy in the Bible. It's not a discrepancy. That was a title of the king of Canaan. Gog is the title of a king or of a leader, as the Bible shows us there. He He is the chief prince. Of Meshach and Tubal. It is, uh, he is someone who is over a region, over an area. And you say, now where are these places mentioned in the scripture? Well, you know, over in the book of Genesis, in Genesis chapter number 10, and what is referred to as the table of nations, uh, you're going to find that God goes through in these genealogies here, and he mentions here, now these are the generations of the sons of Noah, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. And unto them were sons born after the flood. Now listen to the name of some of these sons. The sons of Japheth were Gomer. That was one of the names we read over the book of Ezekiel. And Magog, there's another name mentioned there. And Media and Javan and Tubal and Meshach. Those names also were mentioned. And Tyrus and the sons of Gomer, Ashkenaz and Rephath and Togarma. That was also mentioned over there in Ezekiel 38. And so many of these names are mentioned right here in this area. And so what it is believed is that these people inhabited certain regions of the world. And that's why they're called that. Now when we get over to the book of Ezekiel, you're going to find he lists some other places like Persia. Persia, you say, who is Persia? Where is Persia? Well, uh, Persia is Iran today. 
That is Persia. That was, matter of fact, they held that name Persia all the way up until 1935 when they changed the name from Persia to Iran. And so many of these places you're going to find continue on. What they say is that of Magog would have been the area in which they would have settled in the north. Matter of fact, you go and he talks about them later on and you'll see where these armies are coming out of the north. You know, you go straight from Jerusalem and go straight north. You know what you hit? Russia. And that's why many people interpret that of Magog as that of Russia. Matter of fact, don't have time to get into the development of all these names, but, uh, but uh, matter of fact, a lot of the ancient or old writers like Josephus, men who wrote 2,000 years ago, speak about these places and they actually tell you the region in which they would have settled. That of the Magites is what they called them, settled up in that Russia area. And so again, 2,000 years ago, this is what they taught. Meshach and Tubal would have been in the regions which would have been divided at the time, but would have been that of what is modern-day Turkey today, Asia Minor, would have covered those areas. Of course, we read in the book of Genesis in chapter 10 about Cush. Now, Cush would have settled in the area of what is referred to here in Ezekiel 38 is that of Ethiopia. Now, understand Ethiopia back in Bible days would have made up not just modern-day Ethiopia today, but all the way over into the Sudan area as well. And so you see these countries lining up. Uh, Put in Genesis chapter number 10 would be where uh, Libya, modern-day Libya was. And as a matter of fact, that's what it mentions here in the book of Ezekiel. And so these places are mentioned. That's down on the other side of Egypt over in Africa. Gomer, the Bible talks about, and according to ancient Assyrian writings, they placed them in modern-day southern Russia. The house of Togarma, it mentions here as well. Uh, it is up in the, uh, around Armenia, up in that area where Georgia, Azerbaijan, and those areas right on the edge of Iran today, right on that corner, northern corner area. It is those countries, and I think what's fascinating is how he calls it the house of Togarma. Because it's not just one single place, but it is a development of an area. And there's many of those countries. And do you know all these countries have one goal in mind and one focus in mind? And you know what that is? It's the annihilation of Israel. It is the destruction of Israel. That is their number one goal. And we are seeing the alignment of those nations. And that's why so many people are looking at what's happening over in Israel today and saying, can this be it? No, it cannot be it. It cannot be it. And I'll show you why it cannot be it, but, but uh, just keep this thought in mind. So we see the participants of this prophecy. But I want you to notice the program of this prophecy as well. You see, before we can get in Ezekiel 38 and 39, you've got to go back to Ezekiel chapter 36 and 37. Because back in Ezekiel chapter number 36, uh, we, we, we see God is setting the scene for what's going to take place. Matter of fact, in Ezekiel chapter 36, we see there is a reproach of the land. Matter of fact, look in chapter 36 and verse number 1. He says, Also thou son of man, prophesy unto the mountains of Israel, and say, Ye mountains of Israel, hear the word of the Lord. Thus saith the Lord God, because the enemy has said against you, Ah, even the ancient high places are ours in possession. 
Therefore prophesy and say, Thus saith the Lord God, because they have made you desolate and swallowed you up on every side that you might be a possession under the residue of the heathen, and ye are taken up in the lips of talkers and are an infamy of the people. Therefore, ye mountains of Israel, hear the word of the Lord God. Thus saith the Lord God to the mountains and to the hills and to the rivers and to the valleys, to the desolate waste and to the cities that are forsaken, which became a prey and a derision to the residue of the heathen that are round about you. Therefore, thus saith the Lord God, surely in the fire of my jealousy have I spoken against the residue of the heathen and against, watch this, all Edomia, which have appointed, watch what God said, my land unto their possession with the joy of all their heart, with deceitful minds to cast it out for a prey. Here is the land of Israel. Here is God's land that is inhabited, what God calls, by the heathen. It is made desolate. It is a desolate, barren land. When the Jews were kicked out of the land of Israel in 135 A.D. by, by Hadrian, the Roman emperor, uh, they were dispersed throughout the land. Now, they stayed a remnant in the land. But in, in, by the time World War I came, there was about 9% of the population of that land was occupied by Jews that were still, that were still living in the land. But you see, that land was a desolate land. It was Mark Twain that wrote when he traveled through the Holy Land. He said that the Sea of Galilee area was the most barren, desolate land that he's ever seen. I mean, he talked about how it was, a, it was no doubt just a curse upon that land. It was a barren, desolate land is how he wrote it. And God talks about this land being a desolate land. And you know, in 1917, uh, when the British government conquered the Ottoman Empire, they promised to give that land back to the Jewish people. That was what they called the Balfour Declaration. And this declaration gave a large area of land, not all the land that God promised, but a large area of land to the Jewish people. But what happened was the king of the Hashemite kingdom said, no, we don't want them to have all the land. So in order to appease that king, they divided the land and gave part of it to what is the country of Jordan. It became referred to as the Transjordan. And what divided the, that area that was cut in half was the Jordan River. So today you have on one side of the Jordan River, you have Israel. On the other side, you have the country of Jordan. And so, uh, and so that, uh, but if you'll notice in verse 5, look at what God calls it. Because the dispute today is over whose land. People call it the Palestine. They call it all kind of different. But you know what God said? He says, who have appointed my land under their possession. God said, that's his land. It's his land. It's not the Palestinians' land. And matter of fact, it's not even the Jews' land. It's God's land. God said, that is my land. And you know what God decided to call that land? I'm glad you asked. Look in the next verse. He said, prophesy therefore concerning the land of Israel. God didn't call it the land of Palestine. The, land of, the name Palestine came from King Hadrian when he kicked the Jews out of the land in 135 A.D. He named it after a Latin word, Philistina, which was about the ancient enemies of Israel, the Philistines. It was to mock them. Matter of fact, there was not even any Philistines left alive in that day. But he did that to mock them. God calls it the land of Israel. 
That's what God calls it, and that's what we should refer to it today. And you know what? God can give it to whoever He wants to. And He has chosen a certain group of people to give that to. We see the reproach of this land. But notice the regathering to the land. Because in chapter 37, in verse number 1, look what He says. The hand of the Lord was upon me, and He carried me out in the Spirit of the Lord. And He set me down in the midst of the valley, which was... Full of bones. And he caused me to pass by them round about. And behold, there were very many in the open valley. And lo, they were very dry. And he said unto me, Son of man, can these bones live? And I answered, O Lord God, thou knowest. And again he said unto me, Prophesy upon these bones, and say unto them, O ye dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. Thus saith the Lord God unto these bones, Behold, I will cause breath to enter into you, and ye shall live. And I'm telling you, that's exactly what God did on May 14th, 1948, when he uh, caused the nation of Israel to become that nation again. I'm telling you, God is bringing those bones back together. That was the picture that he was painting. I'm telling you listen, before there could be a chapter 38 there's got to be a chapter 37. There's got to be a place in which Israel is living and dwelling in that land. And that's what God's promised them. He's promised to bring them back. He said that in verses 11 and 12. Then he said unto me, son of man, these bones are the whole house of Israel. Behold, they say our bones are dried and our hope is lost. We are cut off from our parts. Therefore prophesy and say unto them, Thus saith the Lord God, Behold, O my people, I will open your graves and cause you to come out of your graves and bring you into the land of Israel. I'm telling you, listen, they started returning back to the land in droves. They came back, they returned to the land, but they've not yet returned unto the Lord. But you know, it's fascinating looking there in verse number 11. I was reminded today when I saw that phrase, when they said, Our hope is lost. You know what the Jewish national anthem is? It's called the Hatikva. You know what that means? It means the hope. The Hatikva. It means the hope. I'm telling you, there ain't nothing like watching a bunch of Israelis sitting around, man, and they're just sitting there singing the Hatikva. Man, I'm telling you, they just something that'll just Boy, to make the hair stand up on the back of your neck. But I'm telling you, listen, when all this started taking place, this country was divided like I've never seen before. They've been protesting since last January. I saw some of those protests last year. I'm telling you, there was sometimes 100,000 people standing out in the roads protesting the government. That government was divided like never before. But I want to tell you what happened on October 7th. One thing that it did do, it unified that country. I'm telling it brought them strong together again. I'm telling you, listen, it was so uh, so eerie at first. You watch those tanks. I, I remember, as I mentioned, all those tanks all over the place. And it was so quiet. It was so strange. And I'm telling you, listen, boy, when they started shooting those tanks over, I'm telling you, the next day we drove up on that same hill. And you come up over that hill and there's those tanks. And Brother Samuel, you know what I saw? I saw Israeli flags sticking in all those tanks. I'm telling you, I drove down four lane highways, passing tanks, driving down the highway. I'm telling you, listen, they're standing on top of those tanks, man, waving those flags as they're driving down the road. I'm telling you, listen, their hope was lost, they thought. I'm telling you, listen, but boy, you could see that hope rearing, people blowing their horns, man, they were shouting them on. I'm watching those tanks go, I'm driving down, they tearing up roads. I mean, they go around those curves. Matter of fact, they're going to spend the next 10 years fixing guardrails. Man, it looks like somebody took a can open. 
opener and just cut those guardrails open with them tanks that just tore them guardrails to pieces. But I'm telling you, listen, man, there is such a, uh, such a longing and such a yearning of, of hope and of peace that they have. I'm telling you, listen, here God brought them back into the land. He was regathering them to the land. But notice thirdly, there's the rebuilding of the land. Back in chapter 36, look what he says in verse number 8. He says, but ye, O mountains of Israel, ye shall shoot forth your branches and yield your fruit to my people of Israel, for they are at hand to come. For behold, I am for you, and I will turn unto you, and ye shall be tilled and sown. I will multiply men upon you, all the house of Israel, even all of it, and the city shall be inhabited, and the waste shall be building. Notice God said, God shows us there's going to be a rebuilding of that land of Israel. I'm telling you, when the Jews came back into the land, I know what Mark Twain said, how it was a barren, desolate land. But I'm telling you, they begin to rebuild those farmlands. And I'm telling you, God tells us there in verse number 8, verse number 9, He says that, He says, and yield your fruit to my people of Israel, for they are at hand to come. He talks about the land in verse number 9, how to be tilled and sown. He talks about later on how it's going to be, how it goes from a desolate land to that like the Garden of Eden. I'm telling you, the blessings of God would fall back on that land I'm telling you we come back here and we buy an avocado and it's just like man you about got to get a loan to pay for one over here we got them growing on trees all over the place avocados I mean fruit matter of fact there's so much fruit I mean you can get it so cheap in the stores about the only thing you can get cheap but I'm telling you it's just it's cheap it's an abundance of, of fruit and vegetables matter of fact they're one of the number one exporters of vegetables Matter of fact, God said it would blossom like a rose. Do you realize Israel is number one of the number one exporters of, of flowers to Europe? Well, I tell you, it's nothing like driving when the Shabbat, when the Sabbath day gets ready to start. You'll see people at almost, not every corner, but all over the place. They're sitting there selling flowers because it's customary to visit somebody for the Shabbat meal is to bring them some flowers. And, and so there'll be people selling flowers. Why? Because they're everywhere. They took one valley called the Hula Valley. It's just, uh, it was in the Bible, it's referred to as the, the Lebanon Valley or the Valley of Lebanon. That Hula Valley was a swamp when Israel got it. People were dying in 1948 because of malaria from that valley. You go through the Hula Valley today, Brother Goolsby, it is the most fertile land in all of Israel. Beautiful. Boy, there's nothing like we leave our house and we drive over towards Mount Hermon. And boy, you come up over that hill and you look over that Hula Valley. It is beautiful. Boy, that's where the Jordan River starts running down through all the way down to the Sea of Galilee. I'm telling you, listen, God said He's going to be re rebuilding that land. And He talks about the rebuilding of the farms. He talks about the rebuilding of families. Look what He said in verse number 8. He says, but ye, O mountains of Israel, you shall shoot forth your branches and yield your fruit to my people of Israel, for they are at hand to come. You know what God said? I'm getting ready to bring them back. I'm going to be bringing them back into the land. And boy, He has done that. And He's still doing that. These prophecies are not fulfilled. They are fulfilling we are seeing these things take place in the days in which we are living in. And God is talking about verse 10. I will multiply men upon you, all the house of Israel. There's going to be a rebuilding of families. There's going to be a rebuilding of cities. I couldn't think of a word for cities with F. So I, uh, I, I, I couldn't come up with nothing. So we just got to stick with cities. But look at verse number 10. 
uh, facilities. There we go, facilities. We can use that. So verse number 10, look what he said. I will multiply men upon you, all the house of Israel, even all of it, and the city shall be inhabited, and the waste shall be builded. You know what God said? God said those desolate cities are going to be rebuilt again. Boy, I tell you, you know what you do when you drive through Jerusalem today? You know what you see? You see cranes everywhere. Matter of fact, you drive down, you drive down high, uh, you know, Highway 6 heading down from the north to Tel Aviv. And man, you see cranes out there. They're building cities constantly over and over again. I'm telling you, listen, God said those waste places would be builded up again. I'm telling you, we are seeing those things happen in the generation that we are living in today. And I'm telling you, chapter 36 and 37 has got to happen before chapter number 38. We find those events coming when we don't know exactly, but we do see them coming. Look in, in verse number in chapter 38. Go back to chapter 38 in verse number 8. Notice some of the conditions here because you're going to find they're not going to be rebuilding the land, but they're going to be resting in the land. There's going to be rest. Look what he says in chapter 38, verse number 8. After many days thou shalt be visited in the latter years... Thou shalt come into the land that is brought back from the sword and is gathered out of my people against the mountains of Israel, which have been always waste, but it is brought forth out of the nations, and they shall dwell safely, all of them. Here they are living in safety, as the Bible is speaking about. Do you know what happened on October the 7th? Why that took place and nobody had a clue it was happening? Because they got comfortable. They got comfortable. You see all these different organizations, people blaming the Mossad, they're blaming Netanyahu, they're blaming uh, Shin Bet, they're blaming all these different organizations. Uh, who failed? Who dropped the ball? I'll tell you who dropped the ball. They all dropped the ball. You see what happened is they got, they got comfortable in their mind thinking, hey, nobody's going to defeat us. We hadn't been to war in 50 years. They've had skirmishes here and there. They get rockets shot occasionally here and there. I remember a couple of years ago from Gaza they shot 4,000 rockets over in about a month's span. On October 7th, they shot 4,000 rockets over in one day. It was so many that the Iron Dome could not intercept all the rockets and they were hitting houses, they were hitting places and destroying places. The Iron Dome could not provide that safety that they thought they had. They were at that party that was taking place there on the beach and, and, and over 1,500 jihadists came into the land and massacred them. People ask me what I saw on the news. Is that real? I said, there's more on there that took place that you ain't even saw. Some of the videos I saw over there, I've never seen anything so horrific in all my life. Never. Never seen anything like it. It is unbelievable. And I'm telling you, listen, these things are from the depths of hell itself. I'm telling you, it is nothing more than, than a hatred that Satan has for these people. I've never seen anything like it. Nobody over there had. They're, they stayed in shock for, for, for a lot of time, grieving over this, un, uh, just in shock of what's taking place. But you see, the problem rose was because they were divided. Because that country was so divided and the government is fighting amongst themselves and all this is taking place, what happens is, is our adversary sees an opportunity and they take it. I'm telling you, if you're not careful, if you allow division to get into your church, you know what the devil will do? He'll see an opportunity. You know what will happen if, if you allow division to get into your homes? 
I'm telling you, there's an opportunity. And I'm telling you, that was the fall that they had that day. I'm telling you, it was a terrible situation. But I'm telling you, listen, they were dwelling safely. But you see, what's going to happen in this day in Ezekiel, they're going to be living in comfort again. They're going to be sitting at ease in Zion. They're going to be sitting relaxed. And it's then when the enemy shall arise. That's when he's going to come. And there's where you see the raid upon the Lamb. Look in chapter 38 in verse number 9. He says, And thou shalt ascend and come like a storm. He's talking about Gog and Magog and all those uh, coming with him. Thou shalt ascend and come like a storm. Thou shalt be like a cloud to cover the land. Thou and all thy bands and many people with thee, thus saith the Lord God. It'll also come to pass that at the same time shall things come into thy mind and thou shalt think an evil thought. I'm telling you, listen, they are going to come in bands coming down from the north. You see, I thought I saw that phrase there, and he said, and at the same time, it'll come into your mind. You know what? God is able to control the minds of people. And I want to tell you what I believe with all my heart the Lord did is he clouded the minds of those up in the north. Because here's what they have uncovered. They found out that there was only five Hamas leaders down in Gaza that knew about this event. This thing had been in the works for over two years as they were planning this out. No radio communications had ever been given out. Israel had not a clue. They had deceived Israel so much in this and they bought it hook, line, and sinker. You see, all the rockets that's been shot in the last two years has not been by Hamas, but has been by another organization called the Islamic Jihad. You see, uh, there's several different terrorist organizations. You've got in the Gaza area, you've got Hamas. Hamas was started back in, I think it was 1987. It was started uh, there in the, uh, from, actually originated out of Egypt, out of the Muslim Brotherhood, uh, which was identified as a terrorist organization by Egypt. And so it developed into Hamas. And they come up with two different factions. They have a humanitarian aid. You see, everybody that sends money to Gaza, do you know where it goes? Hamas. Why? Because they're a humanitarian organization. You see, they've got a humanitarian aid section, but then they've got another one who provides protection for the people of Gaza. That's the military wing. That's the ones that gets all the money. That's the ones that take that money and builds their tunnels. That's the ones that take that money and, and gets rockets from Iran and from other people. Uh, that's, that's that group. All that money that people, all that hundred million dollars that we are going to be sending down there to Gaza is going to them. Matter of fact, all those trunk loads of, of fuel that just got sent in through the Rafah border the other day, Israel just declared today that Hamas stole it from them, and Israel said, no more. You ain't getting no more. They'll bomb that border again. They bombed it once already, and they'll bomb it again. And Israel said, no more. Uh, Israel went in there and started annihilating. I mean, they started wiping out. Hamas is who they're after. Understand that Israel could have wiped out Gaza. They could have wiped it out. There's only been 5,000 casualties. You know why? Because they don't hit schools. They do not hit hospitals. Yet that's where they're hiding at. They shoot rockets out of hospitals. I've seen towns in Lebanon on the border where we live. I've seen towns. And Brother Chris, I think I took y'all up there and showed y'all some of those towns. You look down in there and big homes, three, four-story homes. No windows. It's just openings. 
in these big homes. No people walking around. You may see 10 people in all the years I've gone up there. I've seen maybe 10 people. They built that town. Hezbollah built that town for the purpose of attacking Israel. And that's where they shoot all their rockets out of. And that's what they do. And if Israel returns fire, they're shooting schools. They're shooting hospitals. And you see, and that's the image that Israel gets. And so Israel has been bombing, trying to eliminate as much as they can. And they have killed an enormous amount of terrorists. But understand this, that Hamas are are the people in, in, in Palestine, in Gaza, not all of them support Hamas. Not all of them do. Only 80% of the people in Gaza are pro-Hamas. There's 20% that are not. They're against them. Let me, I, I, I did this illustration the other day, uh, Sunday, and I asked the church, and I'll ask you, how many of you in here voted for Biden to become president? Now, don't raise your hand. I don't want somebody to pull out no guns and start shooting in here. But now, how many of you? Think about it. Probably none of you did. But you know what? He's still your president. You see, there's a lot of those Palestinians stuck there in in Gaza that did not vote for Hamas. But yet, they got in and they're stuck with it. There are innocent people there. Matter of fact, one one man that was killed in the midst of that attack when they were storming all the kibbutzims there along the Gaza uh, border there, one of them was actually a Palestinian. He came into the rescue saving Israelis. And Palestinians, his own Palestinian brethren, killed him. And you know what his wife said to the IDF? The best thing you can do is to wipe Gaza off the map. That's what she said. There was a Druze man, another Arab, heard the firing going off, gathered several Arabs, several Druze. They went in there with their weapons fighting the Palestinians, saving Israelis, trying to get them out. Don't think this is a battle between Jew and Arab. It's not. It is a battle against terrorists. That's what they are. There's nothing else about it. There there were over 40 Arabs killed that same day in the midst of that. 40 that were there present. They killed their own. You see, Hamas doesn't care anything. They don't care anything about their people. Matter of fact, they lined hundreds of children up along the wall. They were their fence as they were breaking through the security fence to get into Israel. And people get on there talking about how loving the Hamas is. And I'm telling you, they're evil, evil, evil. And that's how it needs to be called. That's the, that is the people in which they're fighting. There's other terrorist organizations. You've got the Palestinian Authority. The Palestinian Authority was started in, in the 50s. And, and it controls the West Bank area. They do not like Hamas. Hamas does not like them. But do you know what they do have in common? They hate Israel. And the Palestinian Authority is just as wicked as Hamas is. Even though they didn't uh, commit these atrocities, you know what they will not do? They will not say it's an atrocity. They will not call it for like it is. They said, we'd just rather not talk about it is what they say. I'm telling you, listen, uh, it it is horrible. Then you go up to the north, up to the area we live in, and southern Lebanon is all controlled by another terrorist organization called Hezbollah. Hezbollah is a whole lot worse than Hamas. Hamas is nothing in comparison to what's across that Lebanon border. 
You see, Hamas is about to run out of rockets. They're trying to say, they ain't even shooting rockets over no more at Israel. They ain't got no more. Here's how it always normally works with Hamas. You see, they'll shoot some rockets over. Israel comes in. They knock out several buildings. They kill several of their people. And then Hamas says, okay, let's talk. You know, we'll have a... And that's what they did this time. Oh, okay, let, let, let's talk. Let's, let's talk. And Israel said, ain't no talking this time. You're, we're going to exterminate you. That's what they said. And Hamas is like, whoa, wait a minute. This ain't the Israel we know, and it's not. The Israel you see today ain't the same Israel it was yesterday. They are rapidly changing, never again. This has is, this is drastically changed the face of Israel now. And Israel said, we are not going to stop until Hamas is gone. People are saying, free Palestine, and that's what I say. Free Palestine, free them from Hamas. That's what they need. And so they, they, are, they are storming in, but you know, out of the 20,000 rockets that Hamas has, Hezbollah has over 250,000 rockets. Not just the simple rockets we're seeing come out of, out of Hamas. Now, now we had some, I was down along the coast up in Caesarea uh, the other, not long, a few days ago, and one came, one of those rockets from Gaza came all the way up over our head and landed in Haifa. And I mean, that's a long, that was, that was 200 kilometers. That's a long ways. They had some good capabilities, but in Iran, they got those accurate ones. They get them from Russia. They get those all the way from, from, from uh, Iran. I'm telling you, they got some very good rockets. And Israel knows if they go to war uh, with Iran or with, uh, with Hezbollah, it's going to be a serious thing. Understand, if they shoot 5,000 of those rockets that have that pers- the preciseness that they have, they may catch 4,500. I watched the uh, Patriot missile shoot up next to our house and hit an, a drone coming over. That was the wildest thing. I got that on video too. Pretty neat. You know, my wife, my kids are like, you know, what, how are y'all? My wife's panicking a little bit. She's like, man, they're shooting tanks. And she said, your daddy's out there videoing stuff. You know, it's like, I don't know. I don't always think, you know, when I'm doing stuff at first. But my landlord says that too. He's like, you're crazy. He's, I don't know. But anyway, but we've seen them. Matter of fact, I saw a long-range rocket shoot out about six miles from us. Man, it shot, went to Syria. That day they hit the airport over in, in Damascus. And uh, no doubt it was one of those rockets. Look, it's going to hit the moon, man. I mean, they shot that thing straight up. It was, it was wild. It was just wild to see. But anyway, I don't know why I'm saying all that. But anyway, now, but, but Hezbollah, this war with Hezbollah, is a serious, serious thing. If they go to war with Hezbollah, there is no telling the casualties. But here's the thing that they discovered. When Hamas came in and breached those walls, I told you five men in, inside Hamas knew about this. This was a planned attack that's been working in the works for a couple of years. And it was supposed to be attack coming from the north. They were supposed to do the same very thing that they did down south up in the north. I'm talking about our town. I'm talking about all the towns around us. They were supposed to storm through the fences, take as many hostages, rape as many as they kill, can kill as many as they kill. And that was the plan in which they had. But you see what happened was Hamas saw an opportunity and they jumped on it. And you know what? Hezbollah wasn't ready. I told you God can shut people's minds. God can open people's minds. And God, I believe, by His mercy and grace, did not allow that to take place because there's no telling how the atrocities would have been if God wouldn't have done that. But now it was too late for Hezbollah to jump in. And so now Israel has secured that border so well. Uh, and so, listen, uh, we, we, we see all these nations that are coming against them. You see, in the book of Ezekiel, the war is not starting in the south. 
It's starting in the north. It's not going to be funneled in starting with Iran. It's going to be from Gog starting it, getting his armies. It's going to be Russia. It's going to be them. And right now they got their hands full with the Ukraine. But I'm telling you, we're seeing the scene that's being set. It's getting them, getting them ready. And you know, I, 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 when you start looking here in Ezekiel 38, I thought, why are no other countries helping Israel in Ezekiel 38? You see, no other countries is coming. There's places in here, it's a reference that many believe is talking about America, where it talks about the young lions. And that area it's speaking of there was, was Europe, uh, where Dedan and those were at. And they're saying the young lions is like America. And I don't know if it is or not. It's possible. But nobody is coming to Israel's aid. We did. We did. We are, and others are starting to come as well. But I'm telling you, in that day, there's not a single country going to come to Israel's aid. And here's what I thought, Brother Goolsby. Why? Why is nobody else coming? I'm going to tell you why, because here's the tactic that Iran is doing now. They're trying to make Israel look like they're inhumane. They have no mercy. They're killing children. They're killing, and they're not. But you know what it's creating? It's creating a worldwide anti-Semitism. We've been watching it. Brother, you've seen this in churches. We're seeing it in Baptist churches today, the rise of anti-Semitism like I've never seen before. In Baptist churches. You know why? Because there's false doctrine. People start watching these fruitcakes on YouTube and getting into these messed up in their end time doctrines. You get messed up in your end time doctrines, I'm telling you what you're going to do. You're going to get messed up in replacement theology and all these other things. And that's what's happening. That's creating this anti-Semitism. But you know what? We've got colleges all over America. We have got places all over the world where they are standing up and protesting against Israel. And you know what's going to happen when Israel keeps on and they don't let up? It's going to get worse. And you know what I believe it's doing? I believe it's setting the scene for what we're seeing here, why no country comes to their aid anymore. But you know who does? God does. God comes to their aid. God comes. Now, the period of this prophecy, people say, when does this take place? I believe that it's going to take place in the beginning of the tribulation period. You know, the Bible talks about it in a couple of different places. He mentions it in verse number 16 in chapter 38 that it will be in the latter days. But, and, and so that's the, that's the end times. That is in, in, in a futuristic time when Ezekiel wrote this. But notice in chapter 39 in verse number 9. I'm almost done real quick. Chapter 39 in verse number 9, look what he says. And they that dwell in the cities of Israel shall go forth and shall set on fire and burn the weapons, both the shields and the bucklers, the bows, the arrows, and the hand staffs and the spears, and they shall burn them with fire for seven years. So they're going to be burning these weapons for seven years. Now understand, Gog and Magog is not the same battle that's spoken about in the book of Revelation. That's at the end of the millennium. But this is not. This is another battle. And they're going to burn these weapons for seven years. So that's where a lot of people, I believe, get confused on this. And they say, well, there's no way it could happen at the beginning of the tribulation period because they're not going to be burning weapons for seven years. But you do got to understand this and keep this in mind that the tribulation period does not start. Does not start with the rapture. It starts with the signing of a peace agreement with the Antichrist. I don't know how long that's going to be between that rapture and that signing of that covenant. 
There's spaces in time in one verse, Isaiah 61, 1 and 2. There's spaces in time in verses of Scripture where God speaks about something and part of the verse is fulfilled and part is not. We have no idea. I believe it will take place in that first half. Again, I don't know for sure. Could it happen today? It could. I don't know. But again, I'm not going to know until we look back at it. But notice the purpose of this prophecy. This is what I want to show. This is, this is, this is what I saw. Look, at, look in, in, uh, in uh, chapter 38, verse 16. Chapter 38, verse number 16. And this is what caught my attention this morning. He says, And thou shalt come up against my people of Israel as a cloud to cover the land, and it shall be in the latter days, and I will bring thee against my land. Watch this. That the heathen may know me. That the heathen may know me when I shall be sanctified in thee, O God, before their eyes. Do you know what God's desire is? It's that the world might know him. And God is going to use a terrible situation. He is going to use the destruction of Gog and Magog and all these armies. And you know what he's going to do? He's going to put a fear in the world of him that they may know me. That is God's desire, is that people will know him. You see, one day that iron dome is going to fail. And David's sling is going to miss those rockets. It's not going to catch it. The patriots are not going to get it. But I'm telling you, God will. God will defend Israel. He says in verse number 18 of the same chapter, all the way down to verse number 20, uh, listen, that the heathens may know that all men that are upon the face of the earth will shake at his presence, that they will see. You see, Israel is sitting in blindness right now. Romans chapter 10 talks about how they have not submitted themselves to the righteousness of Christ. But you know what's going to happen in that day? Well, they're going to realize... Who he is. And I'm telling you, it's in that day that God is going to be revealing himself to the world. You see, that is his desire. Matter of fact, 1 Samuel 17 and verse 46, this is what David said when he's facing Goliath. This day will the Lord deliver thee into mine hand, and I will smite thee and take thine head from thee, and I will give the carcasses of the host of the Philistines this day into the fowls of the air and to the wild beasts of the earth, that all the earth may know that there's a God in Israel. David said, I'm going to whoop you. And it's going to be a testimony to the world that there's a God in Israel. And you know what God said? I'm going to whoop Gog and Magog and all them others too as a testimony that there's a God in Israel. And God wants to be known of people. And what does that say? Secondly, it, we need to be ready. We need to be prepared. You see, notice verse 7. He says, be thou prepared and prepare for thyself. Thou and God's telling them, you better get ready for this. Prepare for this thing. Prepare, be ready. You see, preaching on prophecy shouldn't scare us. It shouldn't scare us, but it should prepare us. You see, it, it shouldn't discourage us, but it should drive us to what? To live godly. To live for Him and to serve Him. I'm telling you, listen, I don't know when the Lord's coming, but I know one thing, He's coming. And there is nothing that has to take place. Nothing has to take place. I was sitting last night in the service and we sung that song, I Have Found the Way. And my heart was smote. And I thought about the reports I'd been reading how Israel has flooded Gaza with letters. And he's telling the people of Gaza, flee. Get out of Gaza. Flee to the south. Go down to Rafa border. Go down and cross the border. Get out. They're warning them that judgment is coming. And you know what? There were some people that ignored it. 
There are people that stayed up in the north where all that bombing's taking place, in the north of Gaza, that is. There are some people that are ignoring the warning that they are giving. But then I thought about some of them that were fleeing. And you know what was happening? As they're fleeing down to the south, Hamas is stopping them from getting to the border. He's, they're not letting. And I thought, man, there's people that are hindering them to get to that border. How many people are hindering others from finding that way? Why? By not living a godly life before them. By not keeping and maintaining a testimony of the Lord. Or maybe by not telling them. But I thought about some of them that did get out. They found the way. They found the way. And how are they going to find the way unless somebody tells them? That is our job. That is our job. Father, we love you. We're so grateful for the privilege we have to be able to serve you. And Lord, I pray. I pray for the peace of Jerusalem. You tell us in Psalm 122.6, Shalom, Shalom, Yerushalayim. Pray for the peace of Jerusalem. And God, we pray for that country. But as I'm reminded of one Palestinian believer who said, the only way there'll ever be peace between the Jew and the Palestinian is that they all know the Prince of Peace, the Lord Jesus Christ. And God, I pray that you'd open the hearts and minds of people that they'd come to know you. Help us to do our part. Help us to be faithful. In Jesus' name.